Proverbs 23, verses 15 and 16. My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart also will be glad, and my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Might God help us to be uh, those people. Let us begin in prayer as we come together in worship this morning. Let's bow before the Lord. Our Father, we thank you that in the midst of all the confusions and happenings and busyness of the world around us, we can come together in worship on a Sunday. We can spend our day learning your truth, reminding of your, ourselves of your promises, and encouraging our hearts as we know the one who is true. We pray that you would use your truth to be an encouragement even to those uh, facing hardships. Uh, even recently, we think of Rochelle. Lord, you are the great shepherd and you can guide and direct her through this hardship. You are the great physician and you can work in physical Bodies, just as you work in uh, hearts and souls and spirit. And we pray that you might be kind in helping Rochelle. Uh, encourage Lord Jean, encourage her as you uh, care for her, even in hardship and trial. Might she look to you and might she uh, continue to be encouraged by those who are seeking to help her. Uh, might you help us as a church body to be faithful in praying for her, for Rochelle, for these others and others before these prayer requests, updates that we have. Uh, might you encourage us by the prayers of others, and might we be faithful in doing the same. You are the true God, true in your character sure and steadfast, unchangeable. And we pray that we might rely on you in these times that, see, that seem quickly changing. We know that you are the way and the truth and thus our life. And so we pray that we would be centered and focused on you and your word even this day. Help us, Lord in our faithfulness to you, to be a blessing to others. We thank you for the encouragement that it is to see even saints today, week after week, faithful and gathering together in praise of your name. Might we be used. Might we be servants desirous to be used, even if if you would desire to be used up for you. You are the one true God. Might we come to you in spirit and in truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The 12th Psalm is our introductory responsive reading. Uh, second page of your bulletin, Psalm 12. For the choir director, upon an eight-string lyre, a psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak also to one another, with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things. Who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us. Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord, I will set him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, 
as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. We worship not a vile or meager God, but the one true, great, and living God, and thus he's worthy of praise. Uh, Psalm 100, as it were, the old, old 100s, number 17 in the gray hymnal, Number 17 in the gray hymnal, I invite you to stand as we devote ourselves to the worship of our God this morning. Psalm 100, number 17 in the gray. is our God. His truth remains conquering, victorious. Let us uh, bow before our God as we take up this morning's offering. Lord, grant that we who are your people might come into your courts with praise Rejoicing because the one true God 
has given his true word and called us to true worship. I pray that we would find our blessing and our hope in you. We pray this in truth, in the name of the one who is truth. Amen. God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. In the kind grace of our God, he has sent the one who is true, and we hear his words of love, 288 in the blue, 288 in the blue, I hear the words of love, 288. of who our Savior is, we can serve the one true Savior, 604, who is on the Lord's side. 
We'll sing all the verses. The last verse we'll sing a cappella, a cappella on the last verse. And I invite you to stand as we sing, Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the King? Looking to the truth of the one true God, Exodus. Um, I think I have the wrong. Thank you. Revelation. We're going to the book of Revelation. So Revelation chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Revelation 15, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, 
which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the songs of Moses and the bondservant of God and the songs of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who, who will not fear, O Lord, the glory of your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, and your righteous acts have been revealed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the end and the beginning. Lord, you have known our beginning, and you know our end, which by your grace will not end for those of us who know you. Lord, we will see these marvelous things we've read. Lord, and we know this all because of your truth, the truth of your word. Lord, that you are truth. Lord, we ask that you would help us in trusting you no matter what. We ask that you help us in trusting your word no matter what. Lord, we thank you for this day that we can meet together to understand your truth better. And ask that you would bless in our thinking on it now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, in the blue hymnal, the Holy Spirit leads us into truth, 207 in the blue, 207, eternal spirit praise we bring, eternal spirit praise we bring, 207. to the gray hymnal number 240 
O Word of God incarnate, 240 in the gray. to the word of God, might we turn to the book of Haggai, Haggai and chapter number two, we're going to focus in especially on the 14th verse, but I'll read for us beginning in verse 11, Haggai and chapter number two. We're closing in on the end of the book. Three chapters, or three books from the end of the Old Testament. And as we do so, I'd like to uh, encourage us with some foundational truths about our religion, uh, foundational truths about the life of the saints. So, Haggai chapter 2. And I'll begin in verse number 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
Ask now the priests for a ruling. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? And the priest answered, No. Then Haggai said, If one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priest answered, It will become unclean. Then Haggai said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. So is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Let us bow before our Lord and consecrate our hearts to attending his word. Lord, you speak. And to your truth, we desire to listen. You command, and to your obligations, we bow to obey. I pray that you would help us even by looking to your word this day, that we might be clean vessels in your sight. Might you bless us in looking to your word, seeing your truth. Might you, by your Holy Spirit, establish that truth in our lives. We pray this in the name of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The temple was important to Haggai, And the temple was important to Haggai because the temple was important to God. The temple was important to God because there the people of Israel were called to worship. The temple is the place where God ordained for his people in the Old Testament to come to him in worship. We cannot worship apart from God dealing with our sin. And so there were particular rituals which were necessary for the people to come before God clean, for the people to come before God in purity. The purity of the temple was not a purity in and of itself, but because God had ordained it so. And so, for example, you would find in Leviticus chapter 6, you need not turn there, I'll turn there for us, but Leviticus chapter 6 and verse number 27, that which touches the altar becomes pure, it becomes clean because it has touched the altar. Anyone who touches its flesh will become consecrated. And when any of its blood splashes on a garment in a holy place, you shall wash what was splashed on. As the uh, priests of the, the temple were commanded to bring sin offerings before the Lord, they would take a portion of that meat. And that meat, having been on the altar consecrated to the Lord, thus consecrated to the Lord, But that consecration could only go so far. And Haggai is making a point here. When you think about the holy meat that the priest would carry in their garments, the food that they they would live on in part, as you think about that holy meat, the, the touching of something that's unclean against that which is pure, that holy meat, or the folds of the garments holding that holy meat, 
Not made pure thereby. Not made pure thereby. Whereas the, the other direction works in recognition, I think, and in, in reflection of the fact that we are sinful through and through. We are totally depraved and uh, our sinfulness affects everything about us except by God's grace. And so that which is unclean, picture of the Old Testament, that which is unclean, touching something else, that becomes unclean. The, the person who touches the unclean dead body and then touches something else takes that impurity that God had proclaimed, takes that impurity from the corpse to that which is touched. You see that, for example, in Numbers 19 and verse 22. And Haggai then helps the people. And, and here's the point. God has foundational truths, and those foundational truths are of benefit to us as we come before the Lord, as we are directed as to how we ought to live before the Lord. And so I'd like to look to what Haggai has, has, has taught us and discern from there three foundational truths which would be a help to us as we go forward in living our lives for the Lord. The 14th verse Haggai has applied this doctrine of ritual purity and ritual impurity, that which is clean and that which is unclean. And he says essentially that the uncleanness of the people has contaminated their good work. The uncleanness of the people has made unclean their otherwise righteous deeds. You see, more than a decade before, the people had begun the work on the temple, as you'll recall. And having begun that work on the temple, they at least established the altar. And so they were faithful in bringing the, the, the sacrifices to the Lord. But because that wasn't the whole picture of their devotion to the Lord, because of that wasn't reflective of their whole life being devoted to the Lord, the uncleanness of the, the, the rest of their life makes their sacrifices. How does the Lord say it? What they offer there is unclean. That which is good, we can do in ways that the Lord will not approve, does not approve. I think it's instructive, and this isn't the main point of uh, the text that I want to bring to bear here this morning, but as we think about three foundational truths for how we would live in a right relationship with the Lord, it's instructive that individuals can be impure, unclean before the Lord, and nations. And nations. So is this people. I think he's referring to the particular of the larger group of, of the people of Israel. But then he makes clear that it is the larger group that he's thinking of. So is this people, and so is this nation before me. A nation can be righteous and godly before the Lord. A nation can be sinful, unclean before the Lord. I don't know what the Lord is doing in our current American political circumstance. But I pray that if he is bringing judgment, that he might be merciful. Our sins are many. Might we look to the Lord and his help. And so, the only way that a nation can be clean, the only way that a nation can be godly, if, is, if, if the individuals are godly, if it is true that those who make up the nation are following the Lord and faithful to the Lord, 
genuine and true righteousness. Not a facade, not hypocrisy. What is taught here about the relationship of the, the, the Lord's people to the Lord? I think the first thing that we might learn from this text is that the practice is pointless if separated from the principle. The practice is pointless if separated from the underlying principle. Okay. Think, think on examples of this elsewhere. I'll come back to the text and give example here. But think of examples elsewhere. The Pharisees. Their practice was spotless, as it were. They had polished the outside of the cup. In fact, the, the Pharisees wouldn't just do the Lord's law and do that which he required. They would go beyond doing that which was required. They, they were the epitome of righteousness in the practice. But because they had separated it from the principle that undergirded the practice, because the inside of the cup was filthy, the outside of the cup being clean was meaningless. Or uh, consider Paul. Consider Paul. He's able to write of himself before coming to Christ. He's able to write of his faithful devotion to the law and to the Old Testament and to the Jewish system of doctrine. And he's able to say, as to the law, blameless. Now, if you wanted to find a Jewish person who was living with the kind of perfection that every other Jewish person would long for, by the very establishment of the fact that it's put into the word of God, Paul's righteousness as to the perfections of the law is very clearly pointed out. But had that righteousness transformed him so that his heart desired to worship and adore the one true and living God, Jesus Christ? No. As one blameless to the law, he went about persecuting those who were of the way, those who were of the way, the language of Christians uh, to describe Christians in, in the book of Acts. You see, if the practice is separated from the principle, the practice becomes pointless, meaningless. What do we see here? This people in this nation, God says, is unclean. So is every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Note that they're offering in, in the temple in Jerusalem, which they had begun to work on, they're offering to who? To the Lord. They, they aren't offering to Baal. They aren't offering to Ashtaroth. They aren't offering to any of the multitude of other ancient Near Eastern gods. Are, are they offering pigs? On the altar? Are they defiling the altar as, as others later would seek to defile the altar? No. They're, they're, alter, they're, they're offering their, their, their offerings on the altar. They're bringing their offerings there in accordance with the Old Testament law. And yet, what had they done? Well, the, the, the beginning of the book of Haggai makes very clear Instead of focusing on the Lord's desires and the Lord's concerns, they had to begin to focus inward on their own comforts, on their personal conveniences. It certainly is a, certainly is a, a warning for us. We, we live in the lap of luxury. Here in the United States of America, we are blessed beyond many blessings in many places of the world. But, but it would be easy for us 
to be distracted from wholehearted devotion to the Lord by our comfort and our conveniences. That's what happened to the Jews. They, They had the right motions. They had the right ritual. But it didn't have the heart that was to go with it. The practice is pointless if separated from the principle. And then secondly, I think we find here that the principle is pointless, is separated from the practice. I'm not saying the same thing. Note, the principle is pointless if separated from the practice. Would it have been right for the people of Israel not to worship in Jerusalem, in the temple, on the altar that God has prescribed for, for their offerings. Would it have been right for them to disregard the law, disregard the obedience to the commands that God had given, disregard that and say, but I'm a, a person who loves the Lord. I'm a person who, who's... Uh, desirous of serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord. Instead of of doing it in Jerusalem, I'm going to do it like the Samaritans. They've established other places of worship. I'll, I'll worship the one true God in some other way other than he prescribes. You see this example in scripture again and again. I think maybe probably the most noteworthy example is when Moses goes up onto the mount to receive the commandments. And what does it say that the people of Israel were doing with Aaron as Moses was receiving the commandments? They were worshiping. Who were they worshiping? It says very clearly they were worshiping the Lord. The language is used in the text. They're worshiping the Lord. How? They're worshiping the Lord with golden calves. Had the Lord said they should worship him with golden calves? He most certainly had not said that. They were inventing their own form of worship of the Lord. The principle is pointless if separated from practice. I think maybe a a, classic example of this or or at least a biblical example of this would be the demons but let us take satan i've mentioned before if anyone knows true doctrine wouldn't satan be one of those who knows doctrine the best he knows uh, the perfection of god he knows the might and power of god he knows what the scriptures teach But is that of any value to him? Very clearly, it is not. James chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. The the devils believe. They they have the, the right form, the right outward practice, as it were. They believe and they tremble. They tremble. They know the truth, but they don't love the truth. They aren't devoted to the truth. It was right for the people to offer, but they needed the principle and the practice to be working together. Together, they needed the principle and the practice to be working together. I think this works out in uh, in Christian church life. Right? There, there are many ways which we could see this working out in our, our day. You say you love the Lord, join a church. You say you're a believer, get baptized. You say you love the Bible, read and memorize it. You say the Bible is true, obey it. You, you see, the, the, the practice, apart from the principle, it, it's all pointless. That They need to be together. Right? First John is, is clear here. 
If, if you have the principle, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you need to have the practice living out that belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, um, I think this is encouraging for us because it helps to remind us that we don't have to have the obligation. We don't have to have the burden. We don't have to have the, uh, the human ingenuity on our own to come up with how we would serve and worship the Lord. Lastly, the principle and the practice are proven by the word of God. The principle and the practice are proven by the word of God. You verify the principle and the practice. You establish the the truthfulness and the rightness of the principle and the practice. On what basis? On the basis of what God has said. As we look to rejoice in our God... Do we have to come up with some uh, some concoction of our own, some new and novel way to come before the Lord in righteousness and in truth? And the answer is no. We, we don't have to be smart or witty. We do need to be faithful. We do need to be faithful. Faithful to the word of God. We judge the truthfulness of the principles by the word of God. We judge the truthfulness of the practices by the word of God. As as we're living for the Lord, the word of God is our our foundation, our basis. I think we see this uh, very clearly in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. If you're going to judge as you go through life, if you're going to judge what is right to believe and how it's right to, to act and live, you use the word of God. But I'd like to direct us, uh, not very much less lesser known, but Psalm 19. Turn back to Psalm 19. Note how the principle and the practice are established by the word of God here. Psalm 19. I'll begin in verse 7. The word of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. What establishes the rightness of how we ought to act? The word of God. You, you find blessing. And the, and, and the encouragement to the, the, the people in Haggai's day, the encouragement is, this is how you have acted in the past in uncleanness. Be encouraged to know that God has the promise of blessing for you if you will act in truth. The principle and the practice unified. The, the, the word of God warns God's servant. And by the word of God, as we obey it, we find blessing. There's great reward, not just reward, but great reward. Note, note that the law, the standard of the law is, is God and his word. The standard of the Old Testament system is what God has said. Um, Verse number uh, nine, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. That that which God says is good, is good. That which man says is good may or may not be good. But 
establish, let us establish our lives on the word of God, the word of God, both the principles and the practices of God's word are proven therein. The, the way that we ought to live and go forth in our life, the commandment of the Lord, verse eight, is pure. So God has the psalmist write Psalm 19. And as David writes Psalm 19, David writes God's word. And what does God say? God says the law is pure. God says the commandments are sure. God gives his evaluation of that which is true. The people of Israel, they they were mixed in their aspirations, were they not? They, they had begun work on the temple. They had in, continued offering the sacrifices. But what is it that the Lord wanted? The Lord wanted both the principle and the practice to be in accordance with with his word. God wanted them as they came to the temple to offer that which is clean. To offer that which is clean. Very clearly the implication of this text. But now do consider from this day onward, verse 15. There's supposed to be a change. Whereas there was uncleanness, there's supposed to be a change. Might God find us faithful in not just the practices of the, the one who is a follower of the Lord living as they ought, but the practices of the one who is a follower of the Lord living as they ought because of their faithfulness to the Lord. Might the principle and the practice all be submitted to the evaluation of God in his in his word. Might we conclude in prayer? Lord, for decades your temple stood as an enduring witness to the outward devotion at least of a people who you called your own, the outward devotion of that people to you. Lord, I pray our nation is sometimes called a Christian nation. I pray that that might become true, that both in principle and in practice, we would be following and serving you. But more importantly, for those of us who name the name of Christ, might we be found faithful in our lifestyle and faithful in our desires and our loves, faithful in service to you, our one true God. We pray that you would bless us even as you have promised blessing on the Old Testament saints. You rejoice our hearts with the blessing of life eternal, a relationship with you unsullied by sin. I pray that you might find us faithful there. We pray this because of Christ, rejoicing in him and looking to him. Amen. Might we be faithful in principle and in practice to the worship of our God. Let us close himself. Take the blue hymnals. Turn with me to number 476. May the mind of Christ my Savior. 476, we'll sing verses 1, 2, and 5.
1, 2, and 5, May the mind of Christ my Savior. Would you stand as we sing? transformed from one image of glory to the next might you go forth trusting the lord and obeying the lord you are dismissed god bless